The Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting with verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Philemon, starting with verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, the church in, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, and a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, 
I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before I uh, begin into the real sermon, I just have to make a quick passing comment on the book of Philemon. It's such a wonderful, beautiful uh, picture of redemption there. And it just occurred to me as I was hearing Greg read it again about how uh, it is the unlikeliest promotion that um, Paul encourages Philemon to make for Onesimus, the runaway slave who's wronged him, who's done some damage and harm to him. And then he sends it back and he says, receive him back as uh, uh, not as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother. And so also we have received the unlikeliest promotion in our rebellion against God and our sin, that through the redemption of Christ and his purchase, we are received back as more than brothers, or as, as a brother. So today I want to turn to the more difficult reading, the gospel reading. And it really presents us with some challenging words in Luke chapter 14. Did Jesus really tell you to hate your family? Did we hear it right in the gospel reading? Verse 26, it's a head scratcher for sure. You might want to have the gospel reading open to take a look at this while we discuss it today. We're going to dig deep into that verse. And isn't it the same Jesus who also said, you have heard it said, you shall... Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Same Jesus, right? 
We're used to hearing Jesus tell us to love our enemies and pray for them. So how can he say so bluntly in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's not easily ignored or brushed away. He demands our full attention, and the reading ends with these words, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, pay full attention. Don't miss my words. Well, first we can step back and notice there are three conditions. He says, you cannot be my disciple, and thus, first, you hate your own family, even your own life. Two, you bear your cross and follow him. Three, you renounce all you have. However you slice it, discipleship is costly. A disciple, a disciple stands to lose relationships, possessions, to face hardships, potentially even losing their own life. It's all or nothing, all in or all out. No half measures. We need context from other scriptures to dig into Jesus' words here. So let's compare some other Bible verses that talk about the word hate, and we'll learn his point. And first we need to rule out emphatically what he does not mean. First of all, Jesus everywhere condemns doing evil. He condemns harboring anger, resentment, bitterness in your heart. Plotting evil. Not allowed. He approves Leviticus 19, which says, love your neighbor as yourself, and goes on to say, and no one can hate their brother in their heart. Scripture in other places says we cannot return evil for evil. And then secondly, in 1 John, it says no one can claim to love God while at the same time hating their own brother. Love for God and hatred of our brother or sister, those things cannot coexist in our heart. It says that if we hate our brothers, we're liars and murderers. We have no eternal life in us. So to be clear, God's word never allows us to harbor evil intentions, never to have angry or resentful hearts, not to do evil to others. So plainly by these words, Jesus cannot mean here that we wish evil upon anyone, not toward our family, no storing up bitterness or hatred in our hearts. So what can he mean? The word hate appears fairly often in the Bible. Usually it's just in the ordinary human usage of one human hating another or humans hating God or hating the people of God. All negative uses the word ill intent. But in several places, Old and New Testament, it describes God or his people hating something. But it is always a hatred of evil and a love for what is good. Not with ill intent, but passionately avoiding what is evil. God loves righteousness, but he hates evildoers, the wicked, those who love violence. Scripture said God hates the child sacrifice of the Canaanites. Proverbs 6 says he hates proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked plans, feet that hurry to run to evil, false witnesses that lie in those who sow discord among brothers. 
God hates evil because he is pure, holy, and good, and he loves most fervently that which is good, pure, and true. Paul says it in Romans 12.9. He says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. It's really one and the same thing to love the good and hate the evil. It is to reject it, to abhor it, to hate or renounce in the strongest terms those things that are evil because we are seeking after what is good. And we all have a category for this. We hate racism. We hate war and bloodshed, murder, heinous crimes. But then how do we apply this understanding of hate back to Jesus' sentence? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We already said it clearly means we cannot harbor evil will. We cannot be vindictive, planning evil. These are all wrong things, evil things. But then we must be willing to renounce, as Jesus says later in the reading, we must be able to renounce even the most precious things to us if discipleship of Jesus requires it. And that agrees with the third condition Jesus gave for discipleship. Verse 33. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If even parents, siblings, even if my own life gets in the way of me and discipleship in Jesus, the choice is perfectly clear. There's no compromise. We must follow Jesus. It is simply to say that God must be our highest good. Nothing must prevent us from reaching that. Is that saying family is evil? No, in fact, family is one of the highest blessings that God gives us. But his point is that even blessings, even the best and most noble things on this earth, they can climb up into and take God's place. And whose place is God's place reserved for? It's reserved for God alone. God alone sits on his throne. Anything else Taking that place, there will be trouble. Dr. Jeff Gibbs explains it this way. He says we can't approach our faith in God with upfront, explicit reservations. In other words, we can't say, I'll follow you so long as it doesn't cost me this, so long as it doesn't cost me my family, so long as it doesn't cost me my life, my possessions, my reputation. We can't put those provisos in to following Jesus. It's putting big ifs in front of God. So if family or anything overrides commitment to Jesus, he says we cannot be his disciple. Gibbs explains Jesus sets the agenda. We put full trust in him. No preconditions. Jesus says, count the cost. Love for him must outweigh anything else. Family, our life, possessions, anything. The Gospel of Matthew echoes the words of Luke. And he quotes Jesus' words with this little difference where he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God is the highest good. All other goods flow down from him. 
to idolize or put anyone else, anything else, in the place of God will keep us from that highest good. And it pollutes everything downstream. Even lesser goods are spoiled if we put them above God. Putting family into a higher place than God makes them an idol. And really, it is those ordinary things, those things that we count as most blessed, that are easiest to make idols before God. We don't idolize things that are of little value to us. But do you see, do you feel how heavy the law hits us? Are we asking ourselves, can we really count this cost? Can we really be a disciple of Jesus with this great heavy burden? Do not worry, we will soon glimpse the gospel. First, Jesus offers some analogies or illustrations. He gives two. He says, count the cost of building a project, a tower, say. Can you build it? Second, he says, going to war. You're a king going to war. Do you have enough armies? Do you have enough soldiers to face the enemy? Can you win? The point of both is simple. Don't begin a serious, costly undertaking unless you mean to finish it. Unless you've carefully planned and understood the expense, you have the resources to carry it through to completion. Being a disciple, it's a not a trivial, easy undertaking. It's not cheap or light or short or short. It is all in, all or nothing. How do we estimate this enormous cost? It's a cost not measured in dollars. You can't pay for the privilege to follow Jesus. It's not a cost measured simply in time. It's not just so light and trivial as saying you don't have to sleep in or you can't sleep in on Sunday mornings. It's a much greater cost than this. Following Jesus just might cost us everything. Jesus doesn't ever promise that you won't lose family, career, or possessions. He means business. We need all the help, all the resources we can get if we are to see this project of discipleship through to completion. We need everything possible to be able to do it. And that is why Jesus stakes it against the most precious things in our life. Family, life itself, our possessions. The things most likely to get in the way of soul devotion to him. Bear your cross, he says. That means suffering is a near certainty. He says even families will be divided over believing in him. But we thank God every day that not every family is divided over him. And some of you are blessed in that way. But he says that is one of the costs. The first disciples and the persecuted Christians, both past and present, often paid these costs of discipleship and still do today. We can suffer many losses, even our own life, but Jesus says none of it will be in comparison to the great gain of following him. So where does it leave us? Can you be a disciple of Jesus? Maybe you're not so sure. Can we afford the cost? Do we have the resources, the willpower, the ability? Perhaps you're feeling low and empty. If that's true, it's okay. There are many in Jesus' gospel, in the gospel of Luke, 
who came to him confident that they had everything ready to face the cost of discipleship. They were ready to walk right into the kingdom of God. Jesus described them as the healthy that had no need of a doctor, or the righteous who thought that they were not sick. They didn't think they were like other sinners. They thought they'd kept God's law. They thought they deserved his inheritance. They thought they had what it takes. But did Jesus say they were ready to enter the kingdom? He did not. Rather, he tells us that the humble will be exalted. The sick that need a doctor, those who need mercy and who hunger for righteousness from God, they will be blessed. They will be filled. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty for his righteousness? Then come and be filled. In other words, who provides everything we need to be a disciple? Who provides every resource we need to enter God's kingdom? You know who. Jesus. And it is really that simple. He is all we need. He is the only one who sees us through this great undertaking of discipleship. As disciples of Jesus, we do aim to do great things, finish big projects, build a tower, win a war. We don't do it by our resources, but by his. As a disciple of Jesus, we do it all by the grace and power of Jesus. Who is it that built the great tower that is the Christian church, his body? It is Christ. He will complete this project. Who fought and won the greatest war against the powers of sin, death, and the devil? Jesus Christ. He counted the cost in full. He knew he had everything needed to bring it through to completion. And he did. He equips you to strengthen you to join in the fight against sin and temptation, to join in the work of building his church, to bear our cross along with him. And his cross covers us with forgiving blood. It puts away our old, selfish, sinful nature, all our temptations and competing desires, anything we would put in competition with God, he helps us put it to death and exalt him as highest and greatest of all our goods. In baptism, we rise up dripping wet in forgiving, cleansing, purifying waters. Everything we need for discipleship is a free gift of God. He who, begun, he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus ran the race. He fought the struggle. He did it all for us. You've heard those two beautiful words before. For us. And what do they mean? It was all for our sake. Everything he did, he did for you. Discipleship is costly. But Jesus is rich beyond measure. And he did it for us. He bears his cross for us, so we have strength to do likewise. He never wavered from his Father's mission for us. Nothing deterred him. Not his earthly family, not any physical suffering, not a lack of physical possessions, not even the loss of his own life deterred him from completing his mission. He despised the shame of the cross 
And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for us. That means Jesus counted the cost accurately. Without mistake, he knew the cost of completion. God laid Jesus as the foundation of his church, his tower, for us to be built upon. And scripture gives us this marvelous promise of completion in Philippians. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. On your own resources, you do not have, I do not have, the strength to carry the project of discipleship through to completion. But he does. Fully rely on Jesus. He who began this good work will complete it in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So come to him empty and be filled. Come to him weak and be made strong. Be humble and he will exalt you. Renounce all you have for you will find all you need in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.